Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch Produce Market and Garden Center, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209. Welcome to Garden Success with Skip Richter the show designed to help you have a bountiful garden and a beautiful landscape. Call in now with your lawn and garden questions at 979-845-5689 or email your questions to gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And now, Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist, Skip Richter. Well, hello and welcome to Garden Success. We are looking forward today to talking about all kinds of things gardening. Because with a little bit of rain, I think a lot of people are ready to get out and rejuvenate the yard, rejuvenate the landscape, and maybe let hope spring eternal again on a fall garden. Uh, that's the nice thing about the weather is it, uh, it always does return to whatever somewhat normal is, uh, although sometimes it takes long enough to where it leaves our plants in big trouble, and that's going to be the case this year. I'll probably talk about that a little bit more uh, as we go through the show. But I want to give you our phone number. Please do give us a call. We'd love to talk to you about uh, whatever is of interest to you. If you would like uh, to give us a call, it's 845-5689. For those of you listening outside the Brazos County area, it's 979-845-5689. And those of you wanting to email Garden Success one word, at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. Garden success at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. And now let's see. I want to go back. I want to grab an old email. And uh, this one was from Lisa. Um, we, she had a question that I recognized it and I couldn't name it. And I had to do a little bit of research on it. But uh, Heruelia has some big old white splotches on the foliage. It looks as if uh, the foliage is kind of sunken in those areas, and the, the leaves are a little shriveled in, in certain spots. That is a mite called a eriophid eri, eri or mite. I'm, I'm butchering the pronunciation. The bottom line's got eight legs, and it's messing with your plant. Uh, so uh, Dr. Kevin Ong at the um, plant clinic, uh, state plant clinic here on campus at Texas A&M. Uh, he uh, helped me with that one. We were down on the river walk for a conference a while back, and he was talking about these symptoms, and uh, he'd seen them down there, and sure enough, that's what it is here. So what do you do? Well, uh, mites in general, uh, you know, just for a simple home home control options, uh, you can use an insecticidal soap or a horticultural oil. Uh, spray upward from underneath the plant, but get the tops of the leaves wet too, but especially the bottoms. That's where a lot of times mites tend to hide. Now this eriophid mite can may, may be down kind of in and around some buds and stuff as well, so good coverage is important. Uh, that's a one-time knock-em-out spray. It's not a poison that sticks around and poisons them for days to come. Uh, once the uh, spray dries, for, especially for the insecticidal soap, uh, it's no longer doing any good at all. And uh, so I would do one of two things. I would either ignore it 
or I would go ahead and knock it out with that spray. They will come back. Uh, nature just hangs around and uh, we don't eradicate anything. If, if we could, we would not have a mosquito problem or a fire ant problem, would we? Uh, but that's, that's how it goes with nature. We don't want to pay the environmental cost of attempting to eradicate something with uh, our spraying. And so that, that's what I would probably do, Lisa, if, if it were mine, uh, trying to get those under control. I want to talk a little bit about uh, some of the things going on locally. The Rio Brazos Audubon Society uh, is inviting the public to their September meeting on Wednesday, September 14th, at 6.30 p.m. at the Museum of Natural History uh, at the Brazos Center. 3232 Briarcrest, Briarcrest Road in Bryan. The program is going to be an amateur birder's view of the birds of Colombia. Uh, Neil Diaz will be speaking an amateur birder's view of the birds of Colombia. And I bet they have some beautiful ones to show in that. But that's Wednesday, September 14th, 6.30 p.m. Museum of Natural History out on Briarcrest Road. Uh, we try to let you know about these kind of things. If you've got a, um, a meeting or an event coming up and it is uh, in some way horticulture related, uh, please do let us know. You can email me at gardensuccess at T-A-M-U dot E-D-U. And uh, we're going to go now to take a phone call, but the number, if you'd like to call, is 979-845-5689. And now let's talk to Kate. Hello, Kate. Howdy. Howdy. Um, I have three questions if you don't have people on the line on hold. I can think, you handle that? I, th I think you're okay. I don't know if I can handle them, but you're okay to ask them. <laughs> I have faith in you. Okay. Epsom salts. Why and when do I add it to my garden soil? Well, that's a great question. Thank you. Uh, Epsom salts is magnesium sulfate, and uh, we add it to soil when we have a magnesium deficiency. Uh, you, we wouldn't use it for a sulfur deficiency. There's other ways to handle that. But it's primarily a magnesium deficiency. It is a salt, so it's, very, it's a very soluble product that you can get uh, pretty fast results from. Now, I would just go out on a limb and say the likelihood that you have a magnesium deficiency is pretty slim. It can happen, mm -hmm. and it does happen. But uh, in general, I, gosh, I'd, I wouldn't even estimate a percentage, but it's extremely low of soil samples that come in that I recommend a magnesium um, treatment for. Uh, but that's, that's what it would be for. Uh, if you, and how does magnesium improve plant growth? That's, that's a good question. Uh, I would have to look at the specific biological processes that it's involved in. Uh, it, it may have a role in photosynthesis. I'm not real sure. Here's the symptom, though. It's on older leaves when your broadleaf plants, I'm not talking about grasses or corn or things like that, but the broadleaf plants, when they start getting kind of a green Christmas tree look and outside the green Christmas tree the leaf is, is yellowing. That's a, that is the most classic magnesium symptom, deficiency symptom. But every plant's a little different, and any time you generalize, you know, you're incorrect about the other things that, that may not apply. But anyway. When you say outside the green part, you mean the edges of the blade? Right. So, so picture... Picture a leaf, uh, you know, kind of a spear-shaped but broad yeah. leaf, 
and then you've got a main vein going up the middle and side veins going out to the side. Take a magic marker and draw a little green Christmas tree centered on that main vein. Outside of that, the parts of the leaf that are outside turn yellow, whereas the, the main vein and main side veins the closest to the main vein stay green. Okay. You can Google it, uh, you know, yeah, and get yeah. a better picture than me. I'm waving my hands very effectively, but you can't see that and on the radio. So uh, just, just Google it. But I, I, again, I would do a soil test if you wonder, and but look for that symptom. And my guess is you don't need Epsom salt. Okay. Uh, second question. I think it's too late, but um, I have, um, I guess you call them antique or historical climbing rows. Okay. Called Sombriel. Mm-hmm. I think if I'm saying that right, um, it only blooms in the spring. And this past really cold winter killed, I don't know, maybe half of the canes. So it's not as lush as it once was. Am okay. I right that I should have pruned it or maybe severely pruned it, cut it back after the bloom? And is it too late now? Well, the the time to cut a once-blooming rose back is after it blooms. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, it doesn't have to be right after, but you don't want to wait until late July to do it uh, because the, the um, uh, plant is growing and putting on new, we'll say new wood, new branches, new shoots, during the year, and then in the fall, it's late summer, fall, it's setting its buds so that it can bloom next spring, which is its only bloom shot. So we'd like to get the pruning done early so it can do everything else to get ready for the next bloom season. Right. Other, yeah. other that's roses, what I've, yeah. That's my, what my research says. Okay. Uh, but with this summer, I'm not seeing any sign of setting blooms. Well, you won't. I mean, you won't, sorry. Yeah, I don't know that you would see it, but um, it. It's been a rough summer, and I guess time will tell, depending on the plants and where they're growing and the soil and how much water they did or didn't have, you know, the, we're going to see a wide variety of results. But uh, in general, uh, I think you just wait and see how it does, and then okay. do, do your pruning after that, if, if pruning is needed. Yeah, I'm hoping it'll create some what will become canes because I lost three what I call major canes in the winter. Okay. Uh, so I think it's probably best to leave it alone. I'm hoping some shoots will come out of the base, but I don't know. Well, just see. Uh, there are some roses that look like they got killed around town uh, here and there, but a lot of them look horrible, but they're still alive and they'll come back out to some okay. degree. Now, here's my last one. All right. Uh, I tell friends, they know I'm a gardener, and they say, so what's going on in your life? And I always say, tending my garden. Well, now I say, triaging my garden. (laughs) Okay. All right. Especially with (laughs) the water. So shall I stop any kind of fertilizer in this heat? There's not a need to fertilize anything right now. There's not a need to, so I wouldn't. Uh, Plants that are drought-stressed already, which, you know, we've gotten varying degrees of rain around the area, in general, pretty darn good. Uh, But um, plants that are at all stressed uh, definitely don't need to be fertilized. The plants that are going into winter that are somewhat cold tender, something like a fig tree that can get some freeze damage or certainly citrus and other things, 
fertilizing them just promotes a lot of late season growth that is is a problem you know for your plants when they go into cold they're, it's not hardened off it's not ready and so okay. I would just wait and if you want to fertilize your lawn let it get to the end of September and uh, maybe early October but the end of September and then do a light fertilization if you feel like your lawn needs it now if the lawn's problem is that it it dried and died you know all over the place then then fertilizer's not going to fix that but uh, right. in gen right. in general a moderate application going into the fall is good, but wait until late September, early October. Gotcha. Well, right. thanks so much. You're All always right. a, an encyclopedia of gardening. Kate, thank you for the call, and have fun out there. Our phone number is 979-845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu. Dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu. Well, we had an email come in from um, let's see from Suzanne, and Suzanne has a live oak tree that uh, mostly died, uh, and it was uh, if not all, it, according to the as I'm reading the email, uh, they used a stump grinder to get the trunk down about a foot below the surface, and now there are a lot of small seedlings coming up in that area. And are those little tree seedlings still from the root system or from dropped acorns? And that's a that's a little tough call. I mean, the, the real answer is, you know, dig one up, follow it down. If You'll know pretty quick if it attaches to a root. When you do stump grinding, you'd like to get the stump roots ground out away from the stump a little bit. Uh, that helps in not having a re-sprout, if, if that's the case. Uh, if, of course, if the tree was dead, then it's definitely not coming uh, back from the roots, it's coming from acorns, but uh, I I can't really tell. I think it may not have been completely dead when you did that. But anyway, uh, there are there are different strains. Is strains the right word? It's probably not. Of live oak, the the southern coastal live oak, like you see around the Gulf Coast, from us all the way to Florida, those live oaks don't tend to root sucker a lot. And so when you go through the South, you see giant live oak trees, and there's one trunk. Uh, you know, it's maybe splits when it comes out of the ground, but it's, it looks like one tree. If you get over in the hill country area, the um, escarpment live oak, which is named after the escarpment out there, the outcropping of limestone uh, in the hill country, uh, it is a mott-forming live oak. And I've seen those all the way down in, you know, pretty far toward Victoria from the hill country. Uh, it's definitely below Interstate 10. Those kind of live oaks will form multiple trunks and you see them and we call those mots m-o-t-t-s i believe is how you spell it uh that so if your if your live oak is more genetically like that then i wouldn't be surprised if there's some more root sprouting going on but uh most of the live oaks you see around town are not uh but plants get hauled and sold all over the place so uh you know anything could be possible um but anyway i i think that's that's the the best I can do in terms of predicting what's going on there, but just try digging one up. It, it, if it is coming from the roots, then some sort of treatment to go ahead and, and try to kill that would be, if unless you want a bunch of new live oaks coming up in the area, uh, would be in order. I had a question from uh, Mary, and Mary has a citrus tree in a container, and uh, I 
it, it's, uh, there's some sprouting from down at the base of the tree coming up. And, you know, it's, the question is, is this, uh, will this grow in to be part of the tree or not? Well, the sprouting is coming from below the graft line. And uh, the graft line is, I, we call it a graft, it's really a bud line on, on citrus. They Mostly those get budded. Uh, but um, those are rootstock sprouts. And so what you want to do is just break those off. You don't have to prune them off. Just you can, you can prune them, but get it right up against the, the trunk because you don't want to leave any buds at the base to re-sprout again. Uh, but just break those off because they're not going to amount to anything. If you have a citrus and you see some branches, maybe it's a citrus that's not normally thorny. Some citrus is thorny, uh, but a lot of our citrus types are not thorny. And if you've got a not thorny citrus, like this is a satsuma or one of the mandarins, uh, those, uh, and you see thorns in the, it means there's probably a root sprout that's coming up through the, the plant that, and you're seeing the thorns on it. Root sprouts are very thorny. Now just keep in mind that other kinds of citrus can be thorny and sometimes shoots that come from near the base that are not rootstock. Uh, uh, if it's a, a cutting that was planted, you may have some something else going on there. But anyway, I hope that helps a little bit. Go ahead and break those off. And by the way, that that probably could use a repotting. I see the, you know, have you ever noticed this, that when you have containers on your patio or wherever you have them sitting, uh, growing whatever, and it's more of a, let's say a perennial type plant, a shrub or a perennial or something, where you're not putting a new one in once or twice a year, like you would if it was a fl an annual flower or a tomato plant. Those are getting pulled and replanted. But when a plant just sits there year after year in a container, that potting soil oxidizes, or you can think of it as it's decomposing away, and uh, the level gets lower and lower, and it, it's like it's sinking down in the pot. But that's that's what's happening to that soil. So occasionally you want to pull those out, uh, look for circling roots, which if it's a round pot, you will have circling roots. Cut those roots and then put it back in the pot uh, with fresh some fresh soil around it, adding to the volume to get it back up near the near the surface again. Because the more soil you have for whatever container plant you're growing, the better that plant can do. Because uh, all the nutrients, all the water that it gets, has to come out of the pot, whether it's a large pot or a small pot, a half full pot or a full pot. Everything that it gets comes out of that pot. So let's give it more soil. It'll make your job easier, and it'll it helps the plant too. Just kind of an observation. I think a lot of you probably have, have noticed that uh, happening over time. Our phone number is 845-5689, 845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And Scott uh, sent me a stumper here. Uh, Scott had a banana. Uh, we call them banana trees. The bananas are, you know, they're an herb-type plant. They don't have a woody trunk that remains year after year. Uh, they, he had to put uh, some concrete down and, and a redoing the area, and he was trying to get um, get rid of the bananas without having to spray them. And so put some black plastic over them, which, of course, they just kind of keep sprouting underneath there. I uh, prefer to do this organically, and so what is an option. Uh, someone suggested Epsom salt, um, but I would, I tell you what, I would, uh, the, the, you don't want to hear my first answer, but I'm going to give it anyway. The, dig it up. Uh, dig that clump up. It's not like you're digging up a woody tree. I mean, not, not super easy, but 
dig it up, even if you, well, whatever it takes to get that thing dug up, that'd be the best if you don't want to spray it. I don't know a good organic spray to kill a banana stump that's re-sprouting. And uh, certainly the black plastic, unless it just stayed there for a very, very long time, but I don't think that's going to be a good option either. So I'm afraid that may be your best uh, bet there. Uh, but uh, let's go now to the phones. Uh, phone number 845-5689. And let's talk to Jim. Hello, Jim. Hey, Skip. How's it going? I'm well, thanks. All right. I uh, got one quick question for you. Yes. I've got a 50 by 50 vegetable garden out in North Country on Tabor Road. Okay. I've had a problem with I've had a problem with my garden from last year. I had two uh, soil samples done by A&M. Okay. And they tell me that I am so high in phosphorus that it, what, that's what caused my garden to be such a dud last year. Okay. In fact, it is extremely high. I sent you a copy of the uh, soil sample analysis. Okay. And uh, I must have I missed the the next day's uh, next time's broadcast. But what can I do to get rid of the phosphorus? What's your suggestion? That there is not a good way to get rid of it. I'm sorry to say, Jim. Uh, what you definitely want to do is not add to it. So any fertilizer that has any size at all of a middle number, you don't want to use. Uh, okay. So like triple 13 or 10, 20, 10, those would be not good for your soil situation being high in phosphorus. Bone meal, uh, manure, manures, using those. Uh, uh, Madisonville mushroom mulch probably I think has pretty good phosphorus content uh, I well, would, I, as that's good as, my problem yeah as good as all those things can be for your situation now you just need to look at nitrogen and potassium the first and third number uh, and I would I didn't see your soil test report it's probably down the list here somewhere uh, but I'll, I'll go looking for it and, and probably uh, comment to you offline if I can find it uh, if not just resend it if you would uh, okay but uh, you, you're going to focus on fertilizing with the other elements. Here, here's the thing. Phosphorus is a problem. It, well, one of the ways phosphorus is a problem is when your pH is a little on the high side and your phosphorus is high, things like iron go into a form that the plant can't take up really well. So it's not so much like phosphorus itself is poisoning your plants as it's affecting the other some other. some other nutrients uh, and and i don't know how high the levels are but uh that extremely I, high in the, the phosphorus range okay well send me the send me that again if you would i know i will look for it but uh let's let's make sure i got something in front of me where i know what i'm looking at before i say much more about it okay well uh one suggestion that i got from the co-op was to plant winter peas Okay. And they told me that the uh, planting just a winter cover like this and and not turning it under, but pulling up the peas and getting rid of the of the you know the vegetation would help with the phosphorus level. Well, anytime you anytime you remove plant material, whether it's bagging your lawn clippings or what you just described with the peas, you're taking nutrients away from that site. That's true. I don't think you're going to get, I mean, again, I need to see the numbers, but I don't think you're going to make an appreciable difference 
in the phosphorus levels. Phosphorus is a nutrient that plants definitely need. It's a very important nutrient. Uh, but it, it's only a portion of what's in the soil is available to the plants. Uh, so you, you have a lot of phosphorus that's there. And the soil test report, if I'm not mistaken, is uh, advising you based on the phosphorus they expect to be available to your plants. So well, they, they, they suggested I put a pound of nitrogen, of strictly nitrogen. Okay. Then And using it and four every four weeks you know spread it again and turn it under and spread it again and using nothing nothing right. except nitrogen no middle number at all right that's, in my fertilizer but see that's the problem i've been using triple 13 yeah and the mushroom stuff from madisonville for 10 12 years mm -hmm. and i'm right. sure that's the reason why right but, i you know, you may have had high to begin with, too, but uh, I, I, what they're saying at the lab is you don't need potassium either. So I would follow their recommendations. Is I don't know about how often. That depends on what you're growing. You know, if you're growing beans and peas, legumes, you don't need a lot of excess nitrogen uh, for sure. If you're growing sweet corn, that'd be a little different. But well, uh, most of my stuff is most of my stuff is, is uh, tomatoes, peppers, you know, potatoes, okay. that kind of stuff. I don't usually get into that the peas and, and beans. Okay. Well, nitrogen is a very volatile element. Um, I ig almost ignore it on the soil test report because by the time you take the sample, send it in, get a result back, and get ready for the next garden, what was in that soil sample is not going to be what the levels are in your oh, soil. It, okay. it, can, it can wash away. It can volatilize. Microbes uh, essentially eat it up, and it becomes part of their bodies, and then it gets recycled, and it's a moving number. And so we more look at what does tomatoes, is one of the things you say you grow, tomatoes and right. peppers. What do tomatoes and peppers need to produce a good crop? And we apply that and when it comes to nitrogen. Now, some of the other elements, yeah, like phosphorus being the prime example, it's there and it's going to be there. You don't have to worry about it being there. So right. uh, nitrogen, you just want to go easy. Don't overdo it, but small amounts over time. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I'll try that, and I'll if uh, I'll try to remember to send you another copy of my soil sample. All right, Jim, and I, or right. I, I will I will take a look and see if I can find it too. All right. Thank you. Yes. Thanks, Skip. Thank have you. Have a good day. You too. Our phone number, 979-845-5689, or by email, gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. And I think I may have answered this question um, a little while back, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and tackle it again. Some other people may have this question. And the question was, uh, what are some organic ways to control grubs in the lawn? Um, so, the, the probably the one of the more effective organic controls for grubs would be um, a certain kind of beneficial nematode. Now, the the fact that it can control a grub does not mean that when you try to apply it in in your home, real life home lawn situation, it's going to be effective. And and here's the thing: these are nematodes are called entomopathic, meaning they kill insects, not they don't, they're not like root knot nematodes that attack your plants. Uh, but entomopathic nematodes need a moist environment. If you spray them out on a leaf and it's 100 degrees and the sun's shining, those nematodes are not going to live long enough to help anything. 
Uh, so, but the ground, the soil, is a pretty moist environment. But you got to be able to get them to where the grubs are. And when grubs are down a couple inches, three inches below the surface or more, uh, you're not going to be able to get any appreciable amount of nematodes to those grubs to control them. So you try to catch them when the grubs are young and feeding up near the surface. Uh, so here's the grub life cycle in a nutshell. We got those things we call June bugs that are flying around really in May around here. Uh, and uh, the June bugs lay eggs. They, the eggs hatch out into grubs. The grubs feed near the surface. And when it starts to get really warm, hot, they, they move down deeper in the soil. So catching them at that time, that's a longer answer. The full answer is a little longer than I can just give on the radio. I don't want to bore everybody, spend the whole show describing this. But uh, if you will contact us at the Extension Office, we can send you a publication, or you can go to uh, Texas A&M AgriLife, uh, the uh, Texas A&M AgriLife Learn website. You can search for grubs and get a free publication that you can look at online or print out yourself. Uh, but anyway, that would be probably the better organic grub control. There are some organic products that also may work, but, but catching them at the right time, getting them on at the right rates and, and stuff, I think the challenge is is just a little bit too much. So in reality, I don't think that uh, they're going to be super, super helpful for you. Uh, let's see. So another, let's do some local stuff. The uh, Rio Brazos Audubon Society, I mentioned a program they have coming up. Well, they're going to start uh, with their monthly Birding 101 bird walks on Saturday, September 3rd, right around the corner. This event is a chance for new birders to sharpen their birding skills and learn the basics of identifying birds by sight and sound. A walk through Lick Creek Park to look for resident birds and migratory birds will follow a short talk uh, on field guides, using field guides, binoculars, and so on. So what you want to do September 3rd, sat, uh, Saturday, is meet at Lick Creek Park at the Visitor Center at 8.30 a.m. And uh, they'll have a few loaner pair of binoculars if you don't have some. So don't let that stop you from going. Make sure and bring some water. Uh, and you just take a hike out there in that wonderful uh, Trails of Lick Creek. And I think you'll, those of you interested in, in learning more about birds will find this as a wonderful opportunity. The Native Plant Society of Texas uh, on September 1st, even sooner. Uh, they're presenting a, a program called Texas Tough Natives for Drought and Flood. Now, now, why would we care about uh, plants that are tough for drought? I can't imagine. Well, uh, Carol Clark is going to be giving a talk on Texas Tough Natives for Drought and Flood. So you definitely need to hear that. Uh, that'll be September 1st at 6.30 p.m. And it'll be online. Their programs are online. And I hope you always keep a pen nearby. In fact, I should say that at the beginning of every show. but So you can write down phone numbers and URLs and things like that. But this is a pretty simple one. The website address is tinyurl, T-I-N-Y-U-R-L, dot com slash frogfruit, frogfruit. And uh, that is where you go for watching the online program September 1st at 6.30 p.m. Learn about Texas Tough Natives for Drought and Flood. These plants have been here a lot longer than we have, and, and they know how to live in the uh, vicissitudes of Brazos County weather. How does, how does that sound? Uh, let's see what else we're going to talk about today. I wanted to mention a couple of other things going on. Uh, let's see. The Brazos Valley Orchid Society is meeting on Thursday, September 15th from 7 to 9 p.m. 
at Fire Station Number 6. That's at the corner of Taro and University Drive, the Brazos Valley Orchid Society. So if you want to learn about orchids, uh, it's free to attend. Go check them out and learn some things about orchids. On uh, This is a little further out, but I'll go ahead and tell you so you can make plans. Uh, Tuesday, September 20th, put that on your calendar, the Texas A&M Women's Club Garden Interest Group. Uh, that is uh, meets at the George Bush Presidential Library from 9.30 to 11.30 a.m. And the next program is going to be Gardening for the Wildlife You Want and Don't Want by Katie Krause. Katie's a Walker County Master Gardener, fifth-generation farmer. She's going to talk about how to deter animals and insects that destroy your garden but continue attracting uh, pollinators. So that's on Tuesday, September 20th at the Bush Library, 9.30, uh, the Texas A&M Women's Club Garden Interest Group. And as we get a little further along, we'll have announcements for some of the other uh, programs that are, that are going on out there. Uh, if you're interested, uh, the Aggie Horticulture Facebook Live events are on every Wednesday and Friday. And uh, you can go online to the Aggie Horticulture website, which is aggie-horticulture.tamu.edu, and then and slash Facebook Live, FB Live, excuse me, FB Live. Uh, I've done some of those myself, and uh, the specialists are, uh, and all kinds of folks from Aggie Horticulture up there are helping with those, uh, producing really good content for you. Those are at 1 p.m., by the way, uh, Wednesday and uh, Fridays. On Saturday, September 17th, the Master Gardeners of Brazos County are going to be doing their Learning at the Library series at the Clara Mounts Public Library in Bryan, on 26th Street in Bryan. And uh, one of our Master Gardeners, Jim Miles, he's also a photographer. He's going to talk about wildlife photography for the backyard nature lover. So you want to pick his brain and get some ideas on taking pictures of, of wildlife. I guess some of the folks that are interested in the birds might want to come to this one, too. Uh, wildlife Photography for the Backyard Nature Lover. More details are on brazosmg.com. Brazosmg.com. And that's on Saturday, the September 17th at 10 a.m. Now, uh, the next day, Sunday, September 18th at 3 p.m., uh, at Lick Creek Park, um, there's there will also be Jim giving a talk on wildlife photography, also out at Lick Creek Park. For, so there's a chance to use it right away uh, when you see it. Now, the programs out at Lick Creek, Creek Park do come with a fee. It's $4 per person, and you need to register at the College Station Parks and Rec uh, website. All right, that's enough of me talking. So let's, uh, let's hear from you guys. Our phone number is 979 845-5689, or by email at gardensuccess at tamu.edu, gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Okay, we'll go through some of our uh, questions. Let's see. Uh, we, I received a note from uh, Jennifer Nations and uh, over at the College Station Water, and what they're doing is they are making available something called Go and Grow boxes. Uh, these are a garden kit that you can pre-order now to pick up on Saturday morning, September 17th. 
Saturday morning, September 17th at the Lick Creek Nurture, Nature Center. So don't wait until then and just show up. you got to pre-order them. So they're, they're sold by Rooted In, uh, a, a, a group up in the Metroplex area. And these are folks that uh, I, I know them myself. They're good horticulturists, and they uh, uh, have put together a package of plants that... Um, can be very uh, some natives, some some very well adapted, non natives uh, that will do really well. Uh, so there's a couple of different boxes. Uh, you go to the College Station Water website to get more information. And let's see here. One of the boxes is called the Garden Made Simple. So do you like gardening but don't know what plants to, for your landscape to choose and bloom? So this is a particular package of plants. Uh, that uh, will do really well from that. A kind of a custom-designed uh, palette. Uh, there's another one, uh, Go and Grow for Pollinator Gardens. Uh, and these are all going to be picked, these so far are all going to be picked up on September 17th. Uh, then there's a garden, it says gardening, say I got gardening made simple, and the pollinator garden. There's one for a shade garden uh, as well. So the the uh, plants would for let's say pollinators would include Greg's Mistflower, Purple Autumn Sage, uh, Orange Flame Acanthus, uh, Lensleaf Coreopsis, Bergamot, Mistflower, Rudbeckia, Milkweed, Green Milkweed, uh, Rattlesnake Master. There's an interesting name. Purple Skullcap and Augusta Dulberg Sage. Uh, and then for shade, for example, it would be a white American beautyberry, pink Turks cap, inland sea oats, cedar sage, uh, huchera, and uh, Texas sedge, and frog fruit. Frog fruit. Frog fruit's a great plant, by the way. Anything that grows like a weed where you live is probably going to do okay in your garden. Uh, it is just... Uh, it's amazing uh, that we, we do have so many plants that, that do so well. So if you're interested in these Grow and Grow, grow and Go boxes, uh, contact uh, Jennifer out at the uh, College Station Water Department. And let's see, the, it's the email, uh, uh, website, uh, cstx.gov slash water. Uh, or you can just look them up. And, uh, Make sure and get in on that. I don't know how many they have, but uh, I wouldn't wait. If you're interested, I'd go ahead and, and put your order in for picking up on s the morning of Saturday, September 17th at Lick Creek Park. All right. Let's see here. Phone number 979-845-5689, uh, or by email gardensuccess at tamu. Dot edu garden success at tamu dot edu. Uh, had another question from email from Suzanne, and the question is: They'd built some raised bed gardens this past spring, uh, and they brought some soil in that was half topsoil and half mushroom compost. So that ought to be some rich stuff. Uh, garden did great, except for the turnips. Turnip greens were huge, probably at least a foot high, and the turnips were very small. And so what, what, do you, what is going on there? Well, uh, whenever you're growing, um, let, me let me just make a broader, I love to take a question and make it a little bit broader because I know a lot of people have similar questions. Uh, whenever you have uh, a bean or a pea, a legume, uh, so beans and peas, and you, do too much you add too much nitrogen to the soil, you tend to get a lot of vining and not as much production. 
of the beans and peas, which is why you're growing the plant. Whenever you're growing some root crops, and turnips would that would apply to, it certainly applies to carrots as well, and you overdo the nitrogen, uh, you end up getting tops at the expense of the root, with, again, the reason that you're growing that particular crop. Uh, beets would be another example of that. Uh, so I would say that 50 topsoil, 50 mushroom, that ought to be enough to make turnips produce some very impressive greens, uh, but not impressive roots. Now that's going to mellow. You might have heard my comments earlier about nitrogen is very volatile. So if you did that back in the spring, I would say by fall, uh, it ought to be a little bit calmed down. Uh, in fact, quite a bit calmed down. There's still a lot of organic matter decomposing. Uh, just watch adding the nitrogen. I wouldn't even probably add any for the for the uh, beans, peas, and root crops that I was just mentioning there uh, for that. I think you uh, will have better success. So give it a little bit of time, Suzanne. All right. Uh, let's see. I also wanted to talk a little bit about some of the vegetables that we, uh, we would be planting now. Uh, as we go from mid-August to the 1st of September, it is sort of the last call for beans, uh, like uh, bush beans, green beans, snap beans. Uh, and that would include uh, pole beans, although some pole beans take a little bit longer to produce. So check the days to harvest. You would like something that's producing in, oh, I don't know, 55 days or maybe 60 days if you could. Uh, that way you know you'll get your crop in time. Uh, before uh, the cool weather comes in. And it's not just when does the first frost occur. That may not, it may, may not have a frost until late November or even December. Who knows with the crazy weather. Uh, but when the weather cools off in general, these warm season crops just, they slow to a crawl, if, if at that, when it gets cool enough. So when we say a crop takes 50 days, that's in great conditions. You drop the temperature 10 or 15 degrees, and it's not 50 days, it's who knows how many, if it ever even reaches maturity at all. Uh, and so th that's why we want to get these kinds of things in now. If you wanted to plant cucumbers, we're at the tail end of the time when you might want to try again. Try to get something in the 45 to 50 day range, if you can find that on the cucumbers. And uh, we are in the big middle of when you would plant your fall potatoes. Now, uh, sp spring is the big potato time. Fall, you can grow potatoes in the fall. Uh, most people save small potatoes from the spring and plant those in the fall whole. Normally we cut a potato, put it in the ground, uh, and grow our potatoes from that. Those are called seed pieces. Um, I guess that's a nice um, name in the terms of it. you're planting it, but they're not seed at all. What they are is a section of stem with the eye on it. That's basically what a potato is, is a swollen stem with a bunch of buds or eyes on it. Uh, so I sometimes will cut mine, let them dry for a couple days, uh, maybe dust the cut surface with sulfur. It's a it's a somewhat of a fungicide, and then I'll plant mine in little four-inch pots and get them going, and then that helps. It gets the potato plants going without them having to get going when it's 100 degrees outside and and whatnot. Of course, we've got this nice little break in the temperature, uh, but it it gets them going and then. By the time I plant them, maybe the weather is closer to getting a little bit of a break from the heat, and they do a little bit better. Anyway, that's potatoes. Another one, uh, summer squash, hurry up and get fast varieties if you want to do that. And then um, 
Uh, Swiss chard. Uh, chard is always a good one to have for fall. I generally wait until about the 1st of September to start on the chard, but those are coming. Now, if you, if you want to grow all of those blue leaf vegetables, broccoli, cabbage, cauliflower, kohlrabi, uh, what else, um, Brussels sprouts, all of that kind of thing, you want to get those plants started ASAP so that you can plant those in late September uh, out in the garden, maybe early October. That that the whole month of October actually is pretty good for planting most of those. Uh, go ahead and get those started now from seed. I put mine inside. Actually, I have some lights I grow under, but if you don't have lights to grow under, don't mess with the windowsill. Put them inside, plant them, put a little clear cover over them or put them in a bag, a plastic bag, just to get them sprouted. And once they first peek out of the soil, they've germinated. So now get them into some light, move them outdoors during the the uh, milder, uh, especially the milder parts of the day, but get them in some shade. It is very bright in shade outdoors compared to what we think is bright indoors. And so get them going. Um, uh, they would they will like the the nighttime temperatures, especially in the early morning. Get a little bit of sun and get going. You want them to be good and stocky. And within about four to six weeks, you're going to have a transplant that's ready to go out into the garden. Uh, as we get approaching that transplanting into the garden time, you'll want to make sure and give them more and more sunlight so they're ready for the full brunt of the sun uh, by that point in time. If you didn't have a, a spring and summer garden or if you had to give up on it because of the, the conditions, uh, now is a good time to mix compost into the soil. Uh, any kind of an organic matter that is going to decompose is going to decompose very rapidly in warm moist soil conditions and that's what we have now. And so if you're, you know, if you're going to plant next week, I wouldn't do that. But if you're going to, maybe you're getting ready for the September, October cool season crops, now would be a great time to mix some things into the ground, let them continue to decompose and be ready to go. Uh, if you got any old leaves on hand, throw them over the surface of the soil to keep the weeds down uh, until you're ready to pull those leaves back and plant. And that works pretty good. Let's see, our phone number, 845-5689, 845 5689 or by email garden success at tamu.edu garden success at tamu.edu okay let's see I'm gonna go back and uh, we had an email uh, from uh, Tommy and Tommy had uh, sent a picture of a lawn that large areas of it were dead and those that weren't dead were looking yellowish in fact pretty yellow uh, and I wanted to talk about that because you're seeing that around town a lot right now when it got so hot and so dry unless you poured the water to them uh, the, these lawns were were struggling and so uh, some areas that weren't watered at all artificially uh, they actually the grass started to die uh, other areas, it got dry, and the grass was severely hampered back, and even the roots began uh, to in dry soil to die. And when you have that kind of condition, and then you, especially then you get some rain, the plant is trying to grow, but it takes a little while to kind of get going, and we often see that iron chlorosis. And iron chlorosis shows up as yellowing streaks up and down the grass blade of your St. Augustine, for example, uh, turf. Uh, and it's a 
it's, it's something that generally will go away. It, it's not that there's not iron in the soil because the grass was green before the drought, right? So where was it getting its iron? Out of the soil. That iron is still there, but the plant either lacks the roots to take it up uh, or just due to physical damage typically from the drought. And so uh, I would not worry about adding iron to the soil just as the soil stays moist, the grass will start to grow again. Now, you can supplement it a little bit if you want to purchase an iron spray and do that. In general, I don't uh, recommend everybody go out and do that. Uh, and I certainly would caution you if you use iron to keep it off your sidewalk and driveway and curbs and things because iron stains a uh, mason, white masonry like that. It stains it a rusty color when... Uh, when you let the iron get on the sidewalks. Uh, let's go to the phones now, the number 845-5689, and talk to John. Hello, John. Good morning. I, I know you've done it. You've told us a thousand times, but I, I've slept since then. What, what is the best procedure for taking sample, soil samples in the garden to be sent in? For, for a soil analysis? Yes. Okay. Uh, so if you go to the webpage, Soil Testing, .tamu.edu, soiltesting.tamu.edu. There's information there on the sample form that you will print out and send in telling you how to take a sample. So that's the backup there. But just to describe it, any area that you want to determine what the, the nutrient content is or what's the problem here. So let me just say maybe your front yard, there's an area that's not doing well at all and then there's an area that's doing just great. Well, I wouldn't take one sample of the whole yard because that's not going to help you diagnose the problem. I would take the sample from the problem area, uh, for example, or from the good area. Uh, and you want to take a random sample that's kind of zigzagging through. Uh, don't dig it all out in one spot, but kind of uh, hedge your bet, as you would, uh, and uh, you want a vertical core of soil. So you'd like the same amount of soil that's one inch deep as you're getting from six inches deep. And you can do that with a soil sample probe, or you can do that with a shovel by just digging a shovelful out of the ground and then taking another slice out of the, si the vertical side of the hole you just made and uh, take a, you know about a two-inch section out of that vertical slice and then put the soil back. You know, you don't want holes to drip over. Uh, but do that in several areas and mix it together and that'll give the lab the best representative sample of what is actually the soil in your yard. Is this the same thing you would do in a, in a vegetable garden? You know, in a vegetable garden where you're rototilling, uh, you, you're already getting a mix of the, of the soil. And so it's not so important to get that vertical core as it would be in your yard or an undisturbed area like that. Uh, but, yeah, with the, with the vegetable garden, I wouldn't worry about that so much. Now, if you rototilled it in the spring and you fertilized a couple times since then, and we were talking earlier about someone using phosphorus, phosphorus stays right where it touches the soil pretty much. And so it's not moving down. So in, in even a rototilled garden that then had phosphorus thrown on the surface, if you scoop that surface, you're going to have a very er erroneous phosphorus re representative sample. Okay, I I, I, uh, I pretty much turn the soil over in the, I have raised beds, and I pretty much turn the soil over every season and fertilize, but I swear I, I, I have just had a steady decline for the last three years of, of, of produce. Mm -hmm. uh, 
production, and I and I and I think that's time I need to get find out what. Yeah, what's it, happening. It sounds like it. Uh, you know, if if in general all the beds are looking about the same, then you might you might want to sample them as one, but. I might just stay in, in one bed uh, with the sample just because um, if you grew different crops in different beds, maybe you fertilized them a little differently. And so, yeah, you yeah. know, that's that's something to consider. Yeah, it could it could be that. Um, just trying to think of what else. Uh, it's I guess, you know, over the years, the shade gets bigger, right? Uh, the trees get bigger and the shade gets wider. And that's can, absolutely true. Can you think of anything like that that might be changing slowly over time that could also be contributing? A absolutely. Uh, the trees have gotten bigger uh -huh. around the outside of the garden than, than they were five years ago. Yeah. Yeah, and, and there's both the trees shading and then tree roots. You know, the the roots don't look across the way and say, oh, there's a garden, I'm going to send a root over there, or the trees don't. But wherever there's moisture and nutrients, that's where roots proliferate. Well, well, that's your garden, moisture and nutrients. And so uh, over time, you may find there are a lot of roots in those beds, you know, from the trees down, down a little bit deeper. Or yeah, I have to take a... a a sharpshooter around the edge of the of the raised beds uh, just to uh, okay. that. Yeah, that's uh, you know gardening. It's work sometimes, isn't it, John? I, it is, I, it uh, is a lot of work. <laughs> well, uh, it's one of the nice things about uh, raised beds is they're a little bit less than than in the ground, but um, uh, but it's also fun, right? Yeah, and 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 it's absolutely true for the ones I've got. Uh, two and a half, three feet off the ground because mm -hmm. that, that makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah, it does. It sure does. Well, I hope you got some rain out there and your garden is happy and ready to go for fall. It It is absolutely amazing. Uh, everything, grass uh, in the fields and everything, everything was yellow and, and crunchy. Mm -hmm. And we had, I, I guess we've had a couple of inches of rain over, over a week and a half. Mm -hmm. The Absolutely, everything's turning green now. It's just amazing how quick it, it, it is. recovers. <laughs> That's true. Even that, even underneath the bird feeders, now we got a carpet of millet or whatever else is growing. There yeah, that was not there a week ago. Okay. Well, <laughs> here you go. We're ready yeah. to ready to go for fall. Yeah, we need we do we need some more, but I'm happy what we got. Okay. Well, we'll order some more, and in the meantime, I'm going to enjoy this uh, not 95 degrees. Okay, soil, soil testing, T-A-M-U-E-D-U, right? Soiltesting.tamu.edu. Mm -hmm. That's it. Thank you, sir. All right, let us know how that turns out, too. I'm kind of curious. Maybe send me a copy of it if by email I, if you can I, do that. I, I'm probably gonna, I probably have six, six beds, that I, different beds that I want to get find out exactly what I need. Okay. So. All right. Well, take care. Okay, thanks. Bye-bye. Mm -hmm. All right, our number, 845-5689. If you're outside the area, 979-845-5689. we got time for another call, if somebody would like to call in. Um, we'll be back again next Thursday at noon, but uh, maybe it's uh, pressing, and we don't want to wait till Thursday. Uh, the email is gardensuccess at tamu.edu. Uh, what we do is, what I do is try to uh, answer the emails when I'm in the studio. Uh, I also have, get email at the Extension Office, 
and uh, during the week I can take those, uh, but uh, I try to check these each time we come in, and so we, we can talk about those on the air. Uh, let's see. I wanted to. I was talking about the uh, crunchy yard that it had some yellowing in it, and the the issue of iron and roots and root dieback and iron deficiency and whatnot. Uh, one thing that, and I'll talk about this more in the future too. But one thing that I predict, and and this is me, uh, just given my opinion of it. It certainly could be wrong. Um, is I think we're going to see a lot more take all root rot in the coming months and, and even into next year. And uh, take-all root rot is a fungal disease that is somewhat of an opportunist with grass. Uh, it's, we, of course, most lawns are St. Augustine, and so we most often deal with it on St. Augustine. It can attack other grasses. Uh, but take-all, it kills roots, and uh, the grass starts to go through drought symptoms. You'll see dieback in irregular areas. It's not the nice round circles that you see from uh, large patch in the winter, cool seat or fall, spring, winter time, uh, but it it's irregular. It often is in the shade. Shade is a stressor. If you use a herbicide that stresses your lawn, and there are a number of weed killers that don't outright kill St. Augustine at the recommended rate, but they can stress it, especially if you kind of overdo it a little bit, you will have more problems with take-all patch. I've seen that before. More problems with take-all patch uh, because the lawn is stressed. Well. We had a really stressed lawns this summer, and I think that uh, the lawns may recover and look okay, but we may see some problems. And uh, there's there are fungicides that can be used to prevent the take all. You know, once the grass is dying, it's it's kind of late to deal with it, and and uh, that's true of those big yellow circles, by the way, uh, that we get in the fall. The large patch, uh, it's easier to prevent them than it is to cure them. Uh, so by the time it's all brown, well, the runner, the the leaves have been rotted off the runner, and they just don't jump back on because you sprayed. And they have to regrow, and now we're entering a season where they're not going to regrow. When when we're talking about large patch season in the fall, uh, and so that's when we get those circles in October, and we kind of get to look at them until next spring when the grass starts to grow again. Uh, but I think take-all is going to be an issue with that. I'm going to be looking at doing, uh, trying out some, some things that, that are not fungicidal, uh, so to speak. They're not sprays of fungicide, but uh, we're going to look at some peat moss treatments. And in the past, on two occasions I know of, uh, ex AgriLife Extension folks or AgriLife Research have done a little bit of studying on use of peat moss to manage that disease. Now, I don't, uh, I don't at all... Uh, even though results have shown some promise, I don't want you to all go out and do that now. But I'm just going to tell you something to be watching for. I think it may be wise to do some preventative things this fall. You've been listening to Garden Success with Texas A&M AgriLife Extension horticulturist Skip Richter. Join us again next week as Skip discusses your questions about gardening and landscaping in the Brazos Valley. Garden Success is brought to you in part by the Arbor Gate, featuring unusual plants, artisan-created decorative pieces, and a constantly changing array of items that bring beauty, comfort, and even flavor to the home and garden. Arbor Gate, 15635 FM 2920, Tomball, Texas, 281-351-8851 or arborgate.com. 
Garden Success is also brought to you by the Farm Patch Produce Market and Garden Center, 3519 South College Avenue in Bryan, 979-822-7209.